0: Small business financial services are only 1% finished. Our latest research examines the jobs to be done and cultural insights on what US business owners need and the digital services that will help them meet their goals. Download the research for free by heading to bit.ly forward slash digital SMB. That's bit.ly forward slash digital SMB, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Adam Davis and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host Sarah Kajansky. How's it going, Sarah? It's good. It's going really well. Thanks, Adam. How about you? Uh, Things are good. Things are good. Things are sunny. It's a sunny. It's a sunny day. That's a positive day in lockdown world. Um, we're
1: British. We can't start a podcast without talking about the weather first. I,
0: Generally, I think I do it for every podcast that I'm on. Um, in today's show, we're going to talk all about open finance. Uh, what is it? I hear you ask. Well, that's what we're digging into today. Uh, what is it? How it works? How it might evolve? and all that good stuff. And to do so, we're joined by some excellent guests, all of whom are experts in this space and who can tell us lots, lots more. First up, we've got Dan Morgan, Policy Lead, Europe for Plaid. Dan, how's it going?
2: Very well. Thank you, Adam. Great to be here. A lovely sunny day.
0: It is a lovely sunny day. Good to have you. Uh, Next up, we've got Dan Globerson, Head of Open Banking at RBS. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, It's been a long, long time. I think the first time you were on the show was when Open Banking was, it's about two years ago, Open Banking was uh, pretty much in full flow but almost sort of relatively embryonic how's it going
3: it's going well adam thanks for uh thanks for the invite back i guess that means it went pretty well and uh yeah thoroughly enjoying the wonderful british weather i've i've been here long enough to uh to talk about it myself more than anything uh on a daily basis but uh great to be back things are going very well
0: Awesome. And we're also joined by Faith Reynolds, independent consumer expert and independent consumer representative for the Open Banking Implementation Entity. That's a hell of a title. Um, Welcome back to FinTech Insider and thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
4: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be
0: here. Awesome. Good to have you. Um, So before we dig in the show, and for full disclosure, we should mention that the FCA, which is obviously the UK's regulator, put out a call for input on the development of open finance, to which we at 11FS have submitted our own input, as have most of the uh, guys on the panel. Uh, We've since teamed up with Dan that's Dan M, and the team over at Plaid to publish our joint ideas on how we see open finance evolving in a written report. and Some of those thoughts we'll get into today alongside Dan, Sarah, and Faith. So you can read the report in full at bit.ly forward slash open finance 2020. That's all lowercase, bit.ly forward slash open finance 2020. Okay, let's get started. So let's talk definitions. So, as you mentioned, the FCA put out a call for input to the industry to give their feedback on how they see open finance developing. However, that deadline has since been extended from March to October this year in light of the pandemic and maybe perhaps so it can be viewed within the lens of the pandemic as well. Uh, the FCA has mentioned in their definition that open finance is an extension of open banking. And it looks like uh, even within, I guess, a relatively high level CFI, that it is based on the same principles around data sharing and third party access with the view that this framework allows end users, I guess, to make better financial decisions. So. Open this up to the floor, I guess, guys, how would you define open finance?
1: Should we be specific and say, how do we define open finance, this framework that the FCA wants to put together, or open finance, the broader concept? Which one would you like us to start with?
0: Sarah, you can start wherever you like.
1: Oh, well, that could go wrong in so many ways. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the broader concept of open finance is obviously, as we, we've mentioned, this idea of having, you know, your ability to, to control, uh, as a consumer, to be able to control, access and hold your own data as it, you know, your own financial data, where wherever that comes from, whether that's your payments data, your your, your pensions data, your investment data, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the FCA has very confusingly uh, called this idea, this call for input, open finance a capital O and a capital F. Um, you know, hopefully, when they get to actually implementing the the rules and regulations, they will come with something which is perhaps slightly less confusing. Um, but as yet, my understanding of what it is is that it doesn't really exist yet. Um, they they kind of want to set up a framework. They've asked for input, but there are all sorts of different ideas about what it could be. And perhaps that's that's why it's so interesting, um, because it, it's still yet to be shaped. And 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 we and many other members of the financial services industry could could help shape
2: it. I, I, think, uh, I think the definition is broad, very broad in terms of the type of data that can be accessed. In that respect, you know, there's nothing to, to disagree with. We also point out that the concept of open finance has, has been around for a while. You know that you know, People accessing their data from beyond payment accounts has been happening for, for a long time uh, in different markets uh, in the US, particularly where, where Plaid come from, and also in Europe, but outside of a regulated context. So it's not necessarily a, a new movement. Um, i think though that one thing i disagree with a little bit is that they say it's an extension of open banking i think this has to be different uh, because it's so big the concept is so big and i, I just don't see that standardized approach the the for, the way that the you know the regulations have been drawn out uh, very 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 narrow and sort of focused on payment accounts, I, I think it has to be much more market-led um, and the process will, will be different. So uh, I agree with the scope. I agree with the the sort of scope of data that they're talking about, the type of concepts they're looking at in the in the consultation. And, and let's be honest, they leave it pretty open. They're not really being too prescriptive at the moment, but I just think it will be different this time. Uh, I don't think it will be a PSD2 CMA type journey. Uh, I think it will be um, a more of a market-led approach.
4: Go for it, Faith. So I'm, I I agree really I think open finance for me is is much more about digitising the financial services sector. We're not going to get to open finance without some kind of digital roadmap uh, because we have to work out what data should be made available um, for consumers to be able to share and. At present, um, if you only go on what's available digitally or online, it's it's probably not sufficient. So, I think open finance is a, about creating a much more coherent data infrastructure, uh, which works well for firms and consumers. PSD2 has created a lot of complexity and a bit of a patchwork of legislation. So, there are still some outstanding questions about liability and redress in the event of a data breach, for instance. Um, and I think open finance should be should be dealing with that. But I think when we were looking. Looking at the call for info, when I was looking at it with uh, uh, my colleague Mark Chidley at the um, Open Banking Implementation Entity, I think you know we felt that actually it could be much clearer on purpose, and to, in terms of what's the purpose of open finance, what's it going to deliver, and it could be a bit more ambitious. So this, the, there was sort of different elements to the definition. So there was this concept of consumers owning and controlling their data, that being reused by third parties, but that taking place in a safe and ethical environment. And I think we thought it should also go a bit further and be looking to deliver something materially better, um, something that would be socially desirable, so something that's going to actually benefit society um, and perhaps should be much more closely aligned to the money advice and pensions uh strategy which is looking to increase the uk's financial well-being so it's looking at you know stuff like um seeing two million people save more regularly seeing two million people use fewer people using credit for essentials etc so that's where you'd expect to see open finance delivering value for consumers and helping them with insight providing kind of um access to cheaper forms of credit helping them build up a buffer and uh, you know we just think that you know I think that the 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 FCA could be a bit more ambitious about the purpose and and then thinking about the sort of actually creating the right infrastructure mm-hmm. to make data sharing
0: work well sure i mean uh, dan Dan gee, this is um, Dan M just said that uh, this necessary isn 't necessarily uh, i guess similar to open banking and needs to be sort of treated on itself um, you 've obviously spent the last couple of years implementing an open banking program which has obviously been a big endeavor. How much do you think this regulation or this framework, I suppose, based on on what's already been written in the call for uh, input, um, should be based upon open banking or how much is there that I suppose open banking has given us that we can leverage and use to then expand this further?
3: Yeah, I'd I'd probably start building on the points uh, from my esteemed colleagues on the panel, but I think I'd start more on the macro level with, I think we're on a very long journey and a great journey which is the public's right to own their data. And I think we're seeing uh, some countries and jurisdictions around the world that are starting more from that side around consumer data rights and working their way back into uh, specific use cases where we've almost come at it from a little bit of a different angle where we've got a fair amount of momentum around open banking and then we're expanding out. Um, but with that said, I do think that, um, that the journey is all about uh, the public's right to their own data uh, ease of controlling who uses that data, how they use that data, and, um, and for what benefit. And from that point of view, it's not open banking. It's not open finance. It's effectively open everything. It's uh, open consents. Who can, who can I tell about who I've shared my data with and for what purpose? Who can see inside my shopping baskets online? Who can see, who can see anything that, uh, that I have in the digital space? So I, I tend to think of it at that level in a macro sense and look forward to a future where that's true. I think mm. the open banking implementation has been really interesting in that uh, PSD two has been a very European, obviously European regulation, very specific to a handful of UK uh, financial institutions, including NatWest. Um, we worked on a very standardized uh, implementation of that of that legislation or of that mandate, and that's been interesting. Um, it's been interesting, both uh, both good and bad, in terms of. Um, Huge amount of benefits for those trying to enter the ecosystem, recognizing there are standards and those standards work generally the same across the board. So ease of market entry from that point of view. At the same point, if we think broader into open finance, uh, as Faith has mentioned, um, there are providers out there in the finance space. Um, not just the back-end providers of insurance and, uh, and pension products, but the front end providers, the administrators who the public works with, who may not be very far along their digital journeys. So it's not as if they have the ease of exposing their journey, nor might they have the, the size of the resources. And in some ways we've got to be careful in that. I actually happen to be a big fan of standards, but at the same time, if we force those upon any and all, we could actually drive something which isn't competition, which is actually the opposite of competition in yeah. that you, we would need to consolidate a, a lot of small players so that they'd have the, the, the capability and the resources to um, to land such a large digital API-led um, platform. Yeah.
0: So there's I a mean, lot we- of play here. Yeah, I mean, we said um, we said at the beginning this could take time. Uh, I think the uh, the FCA has previously said, and I think it's actually in the call for input that they said the benefits of open banking could take several years to see its sort of full development in the market. Um, sort of just rough going around the houses with you guys. Um, are we talking seven years for let's say open banking and an additional seven years for open finance? Are we only going to see the ben- like before I retire? Am I going to see the benefits to this? Basically, is the long and short? You know, how how long are we talking?
2: I, th- I think one of the I think that's true in some respects, but I also think to really see the benefits of open banking, we have to expand the scope into, into other areas and other data sources. So that's really why open finance and open banking are connected, is that, you know, there's a great breakthrough in PSD2 that gave the legal right to, to access that data and, and share that data. And, and that opened up a whole new, uh, you know, whole new environment for, for innovation and, and provided and broke down the asymmetric relationships uh, within financial services, but in a very narrow area. And we've seen some great products come through, uh, some great things already starting to come come to market uh, already, but it's still limited. Um, and so people don't necessarily at the moment need to feel a connection to use open banking style products all the time because maybe the, what they have is, is more limited. But if you can expand that out, then I could see, you know, much more use cases developing, much more utility being developed. Um, so I think, you know, the time frame is, is, is the time frame. But actually, the scope is probably too narrow at the moment to really get the most benefit from it. So that's where I think that the two are connected in terms of time horizons.
4: I think we did. I think I'd agree with that. So we um, last year I um, looked at kind of what we call consumer priorities for open banking. We did some analysis looking at what consumers could stand to gain from open banking, and we found that um, over the course of a year, you know, using Open banking enabled product, products, people could stand, you know, the population could stand to gain around 12 billion, but 40% of that value was really coming from. Um, data that was outside of what we call the PSD2 perimeter. So it was much more mm-hmm. the kind of savings, loans, other forms of credit, mortgages. And, and uh, currently some of that information is just being screen scraped. But ultimately we need to move to APIs in those areas. And I do think that there is a the potential for movement in some sectors much, quick, much more quickly than others. Um, and Open Banking and PSD2 have paved the way a bit for that because obviously the, the PSD2 definition of um, accounts accessible online. It spans to any accounts from which you can make payments. So that includes some of the kind of savings accounts, some of the, you know, mortgages, but it doesn't include all. So I think we'd like to see those, you know, my kind of sense is you could bring those into scope quite quickly, move quite quite quickly along with that but I think there are going to be other aspects of the you know the industry around sort of potential sort of uh working in pensions which may take longer although we've got the pensions dashboard underway um and insurance might take some time to come through just in terms of thinking about that digital roadmap that firms need to get on and I think um, you know, my advice to the FCA is actually think about what's the digital roadmap. I don't mm-hmm. think we can underestimate the, yep. that you know, the costs of open banking have been quite high for some of the incumbent banks because of their legacy systems they've had to update. And actually, they're in quite a, you know, consumer facing um, digital market already. So so there's quite a lot of um, work for firms to do on the dig- digital front, which sort of make it... Can
1: I? Can I just I just say, I, I completely agree that that some um, industries will move faster than others, but I think we can't discount that some industries and some players in some industries will have looked at open banking gone, that's a good idea. Guys, let's start working on this even before we're made to. And what springs to mind there is the work that I know that a lot of the building societies in the UK have done. Um, so they weren't necessarily included in that original scope because a lot of them don't necessarily have what are counted to be payments accounts. They're, they're fixed-term savings accounts, longer-term savings accounts. It's it's very boring about definition. But the point is, they're not mandated to do it yet. They're already doing a lot of groundwork for it. So completely, uh, I completely agree that some of those industries that have twigged and some of those players in those industries that have twigged the benefits that, that could be for them here, you know, particularly if you're a building society, you offer savings accounts, you want to be in there when those aggregator apps finally get the money movement happening. You want to be top of that list because you offer great rates. You don't want to lose out to, to to the big bank savings products. But then on the other hand, with my insurance hat on, oh my goodness, the back end of insurance systems and the number of things that are still done by paper and with seals and stamps, just it makes my toes curl. So while well, I'd love to see insurance included in this quickly, I think we have to accept that it's going to take them a while. Um, Some of the standalone, you know, insure techs um, have worked in the same way that some of the standalone neobanks have done as well and built themselves on the idea of an open architecture, you know, APIs are in their blood. So I also think that there will be um, different speeds and movements between different sizes of companies. I think
4: if you look at um, TISA, so the Investment and Savings Alliance, they are doing, they're definitely doing what you're talking about, Sarah. So they're already looking at open savings and investments. And that's kind of worth pulling out sort of the voluntary work that's already going on in the industry to sort of get ahead of the curve. But also, um, I think sort of capitalise on some of those advantages that firms are seeing from making that kind of data available, especially in the financial advice market. So I think you're right, some some sectors are going to start moving and are already moving forward. Yeah,
0: because there's kind of two elements to this in Terms of, I guess, the, the hurdles that you would put in place uh, or the hurdles you need to overcome, I should say, in order to put this this framework in place. One is very much around, Sarah, you were saying, the implementation of this. So, um, how difficult is is it going to be? Where are firms starting from? And if you look, I think, at open banking again in the CMA9, they're probably starting from a, a very different position than some of the small, small players are starting from in some of the more niche um, or more siloed FS industries that this affects. We're also talking about the policy and the regulation uh, impacts that. that that we're going to have to be put in place off the back of this. Um, and damn, M, I might come to you for that uh, just now. I mean, f- from your perspective, what are the big things that, uh, from a regulatory perspective, one needs to, I guess, get over the hill or get over the line before this can actually sort of apply, you know, across
2: each FS silo? Sure. Um, so, As I say, open finance is a huge concept. So if you look at the the amount of detail in in PSD2 and and the the different level of text, then you know we can't begin to to start that now. But if we take it back a level, I think, as already been alluded to, a customer data right to access all their financial data. So expanding that out, we go back to rights. I think the Australians uh, are looking at that that model, the consumer data right. Um, I think that's going to be key. Uh, And we can build back from there on how we do it. Different countries will have uh, different approaches. Uh, consumers also need to control uh, that data and have, have ownership over it around how they get empowerment from it. Um, I think you know there'll need to be some you know a level of regulatory clarity around access. So looking at uh, things like liability governance uh, will all be all be key in terms of what policymakers will be thinking about, uh, particularly on the liability regime around what type of consumer address and. Uh, what types of loss we're talking about, I think, are are, are going to be key. Um, You're probably going to have to have a really thorough look at what interventions are needed across different markets, uh, like a a regulatory audit, if you will, um, to see where are the sort of, even the digital side, so where is data not digitised, where are paper-based ID requirements or... Or other in-market requirements which are going to stop the the market approach of, of open finance where where we may need interventions we can't intervene everywhere but we may need mm. to, to pick out cert, certain points um, and then and, and, and one of the points that that we like to talk about is that you know let the market build open finance infrastructure uh, you can't build one standard api for for every sector uh, technical service providers or you know aggregators like ourselves or other intermediaries have experience in this space um, you know, they probably need to be regulated differently, maybe TSPs as well, where you, where you retrieve the data rather than the provisioning of it. Uh, I know, again, Australia are looking at how they can accredit intermediaries in the space. But I think um, they could play an important role in opening up, These markets to 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 consumers and other other PPPs may sound self interested, but I I think they really have a have a role in uh, in pushing that. Just a bit, Dan, just a bit. That's (laughs) all
3: right. No, but I I mean, I I mean, just in response to to Dan Morgan's great points, I think that there is that sort of question of is this something the market will develop on itself, or is this something that requires a bit of a bit of regulatory mandate and interest. I'm suspicion. I'm, I'm suspicious. It's it's going to require a bit of the latter. I mean, realistically, we've had the likes of Plaid, Dan's company, and a few other big players in the world kind of sitting in the middle, um, providing um, the public with an ability to share their data. But that was historically done not entirely, but primarily with screen scraping. I think we're trying to move away from that. So whether that needs to go as far as dictating hard standards for exact precise security. Or precise API responses and standards, or just be a, re- a requirement to have an API interface where where credentials aren't shared. There's probably something in there. I, I think the face point though, and Sarah, we'd love to push all this out all at the same time. I mean, we're all consumers too, and we'd we'd all like yeah. to benefit. Um, I do think that I do think the public wins. Any 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 movement forward, the public wins. Adding competition to any industry, the public wins. Uh, to face point. Um, even though it might not be pleasant for some smaller participants, forcing digitization means the public does win. So there's certainly some hurdles there, but I would expect that realistically that a, a, a complete market approach won't land us anywhere besides sharing a lot of login information, password, screen scraping, and the rest. So the regulators just being a little pointy around a little bit on the house side would probably be helpful.
2: I think I think regulation is really important, uh, and I don't think to say it's a, a complete free for all. Um, you know, there are we, we're a US company, and, and it's not a, not the ideal market that we would necessarily portray in, into others either. I think you know regulated intermediaries are very important. Trust is very important. Um, so I, I think it's just getting it right and not over standardizing in terms of specifications and not over regulating to the end degree. This is a huge project. We're not going to get there by writing everything out at the start. Uh, so I think that's really important. I just don't think we're going to be able to regulate everything that moves.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something in that because there's a kind of there's the there's just the whole kind of question of feasibility of of regulating every aspect. And I think there's there's a few things that I think are important to kind of take. So I think you know we might not replicate open banking, we can certainly learn from it. Um, and in, there there are a few things around interoperability. So the more interoperable you know the standards are, or some sort of APIs are the easier it is for new entrants to market. So if we're thinking we want to be pro-competition, actually standards do help drive competition. I think the other thing is that data sharing, you know, works really well from one data controller to another where they've got a contract and they, you know, they enjoy each other's company. But, you know, yeah. in, in, in open banking, what we've seen is that actually you're asking one data controller to share with another who is in competition with them. You know, you're ask, and, and that actually means that there's not so much incentive to, to, to open, open up your data or make slick journeys or bring it all together in a way that sort of works really well for those intermediaries. So I think there are some real kind of challenges around things like conformance to to standards and and also driving firms' performance. And I think one of the, the sort of the ways that we've been doing that through open banking is through having, you know, the trustee doing bilaterals with the with the incumbent banks and having quite sort of heavy supervision. And I just, I, I'm the, the PSD2 framework offers what the fallback or the contingency, which isn't really a very good deterrent um, in terms of getting firms to really deliver on yeah. the dedicated interface. So my kind of sense is that actually. You know, if you're thinking about an infrastructure, thinking about making it work, you are thinking about comp- competition, you probably want some sort of uh, schedule between firms so that, you know, if your APIs aren't up and running, then you're, you know, you, you've got micro fines going on that this is sort yeah. of automated. So actually, there's a kind of immediate hit if your APIs aren't delivering so that actually we kind of get the system working collaboratively. So we need to make it work properly for consumers, and that will require some robust uh, regulatory uh, so structure around,
2: and, and I agree. I think that could be backed up by the consumer data right. Uh, that access is part of their uh, part of their right. So there is a requirement today for when interfaces are not right, called the not zero zero fives in part of the FCA, and and often we may find that there isn't the the right amount of of um, you know of, of teeth maybe that the FCA has in even now. Uh, entire businesses are built around that access, which can often. Fall away, cannot be good enough. Um, you know, and this is standardized. So I definitely agree. I don't necessarily think that we can set it all out in statute, though, because even where it is out in statute, it isn't necessarily being delivered. So,
0: yeah, that's a good point, Dan. Uh, before we get back to it, we're just going to take a quick pause here and tell you about our sponsors.
3: We are truly in uncharted waters. Looking to us for guidance. Nothing is more important than building trust right now. This I'm will like... be the new normal. How can I help?
4: Hear that? That's the sound of change. Right now, business leaders are rethinking, reassessing, and repurposing business as usual to deal with this new crisis. It's a global conversation Salesforce is having called Leading Through Change. And it's all about businesses working together to achieve one simple goal, help.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Awesome.
4: Thank you for everything that you're doing.
0: Learn more at salesforce.com backslash leading through change.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Equinix. Equinix is the world's largest global platform of interconnected data centers, enabling fastest application performance, lowest latency, and a digital ecosystem for financial services. Its platform of over 200 data centers worldwide protects, connects, and empowers the mission critical infrastructure for over 10,000 businesses. Find out more at equinix.co.uk.
0: This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. Combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and costs. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. Okay, back to today's show. And I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you guys was um, from uh, from an incentivization perspective or, or a metric which... I guess, uh, alludes to the success or not of open banking and therefore open finance when we get there. Is there something in mind, like at the moment I'm having conversations with clients We talk about 300 million calls a month, uh, API calls over open banking, and people's eyes sort of light up and think, oh, that's quite a lot, without knowing, I suppose, the underlying detail that goes into that. Do we need something similar to say to companies, look, if you get to that kind of volume, this will be deemed a success because this is the revenue you can generate from it? And do we need that kind of, I guess, linear linear comparison and and hypothesis that sits underneath it that, that makes this sort of, you know, makes this success more apparent?
1: Do you mean setting out sort of goalposts for success before we start kind of thing?
0: Kind of. Like I think there's a setting it out before we start might be tricky, but I think I'm thinking more around um convincing people that uh that this is a good idea either for the bottom line or from a consumer perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think having, you know, success metrics before you before you start or once you get going a little way in is is always a nice thing to do. At the bottom line, I think the easiest way to do it is, is going to be to point to somebody that's already had success and it's going to take a while for us to get there. I guess what we need perhaps is somebody like Plowd publishing case studies and saying this client of ours did X, Y and Z, um, which would certainly help, you know, set those, set those goalposts. But it's kind of almost a chicken and egg, isn't it? Like, how do you set the metrics if you don't have the metrics and who's willing to give away the metrics first because somebody else might come on and say ours oh, are ten, 10 times better?
4: I guess this is sort of close to my heart and, uh, you know, one of the things I've kind of been advocating strongly for for a while at Open Banking is um, is an outcomes evaluation framework. So that Open Banking actually sort of say, what is it that we're trying to achieve for consumers downstream here? And what are those, what's that theory of change we're working towards? So effectively, if we want to see, you know, more people getting better interest on their savings or we want to see uh, more people with thin credit files being able to access credit or whatever it is, you know, what are the steps that we need to get there? And first of all, we need to, you know, we need the APIs need to work. We need propositions in the market. People need to adopt those propositions. And so there is a kind of journey towards what does success look like? And from a consumer point of view, I think it is possible to lay out what is it that we want to see for consumers downstream in, you know, in five years time? That's what, you know, maps have done. They're saying we want, you know, 2 million more people saving. That's kind of like, you know, how does open banking or open finance fit into that? And and so I think there's a, you know, at least from an open banking perspective, I'm hoping that there'll be some data out towards the end of this year that shows something about how open banking is beginning to have an impact for, um, for consumers, but also in terms of the propositions that are on the market, the you know, new firms that are coming through. Um, it is different to API calls, I, I grant you that, mm-hmm. and that's an important aspect of, of, of measuring success. But increasingly, I think you know, from a, I don't know if you're aware of other work that the FCA is doing, but thinking about and the other regulators doing, think about, you know, how do we move towards outcomes-based regulation? How do we mm-hmm. move towards a point actually where financial services are really delivering real value for consumers? So not just yeah. a product that works, but actually somebody saved money as a result. Somebody's kind of like, is better off for having shared their data. And when you talk to consumers, the thing they're worried about is, if I share my data, am I going to be better off or not? So I think there's some really interesting kind of questions mm-hmm. about how the market will evolve and also what do we think success looks like and then how do we yeah. measure
0: measure that i mean D- dan G, I'm, I'm keen to get your thoughts on this so if uh you know th- these programs are, are difficult to do uh, and they cost a lot of money to actually put in place especially for the, for the for the big players and the incumbents if you've got to go and and secure let's say a team to put in you know whatever framework that is, this is across the next 18 months two years whenever this starts um you know, are you going to be asked for a sort of a, you know, okay, that's fine. But, you know, what's coming back the other way? Or, you know, open banking's delivered this, how much are we going to go 10x on that? I mean, are, that, are those conversations going to happen? And do you fear them? Or are they something that you, you feel that you could have easily?
3: Well, we, it's a great question, Adam. I think we, we've we had a, and you and I've talked about it in the past, we've had a bit of a unique experience across NatWest Group, which was quickly understanding that although this this mandate, this regulation, PSD2, open banking, and the rest was designed for increasing competition, which tends to compress margins and other things, which you know, come for, for-profit companies oftentimes don't, don't enjoy in that, in that sense, uh, balancing the needs of customers uh, and shareholders. Uh, for us, it was an opportunity to modernize. So we looked at what was a very large investment in open banking as a, as a call to arms to do some things we always wanted to do I think we recognized some years ago that API enablement was a huge thing. We saw uh, APIs as a way to connect and partner with fintechs. We saw APIs as a way to connect with our business customers. We saw APIs as a way to deliver products and services to customers, both inside bank channels very quickly, as well as outside of bank channels and third-party customers that may be more relevant uh, for, for our customers to use. So we. We didn't spend too much time thinking about the addition of competition. We thought more about <clears throat> how will this enable us to uh, to really build compelling propositions that help uh, our current customers and, and hopefully future mm. customers. So I think when we, when we turned it on its side and thought, it about, thought about it that way, it was, it was actually, you know, in a sense, welcome relief. So that was the incentive itself is achieving something that we really, really held near and dear. So from that perspective, if and when we go back to the well around open finance, I think there's a fair amount of... Um, of optimism that this is going to be good for ourselves and our customers, competition aside. Um, At the same time, as Faith has raised, as of others, how can we do this most cost-effectively? Does this really need standards? Can the market take some of the lead around this with a touch of regulatory prompting?
0: Cool. Yeah, makes sense. Makes makes a lot of sense. And I guess, um, Dan, from your – Dan M., this is, from your perspective, um, in terms of the feasibility of – of putting this in place and in terms of i guess your role in it as a you know as a, as, a, as a tpp or tsp sitting in the middle of it what um where would you know if you're going to start going and, and advising people on this journey where i suppose would these companies need to
2: start um i think that really depends who we're who we're talking about so plaid is an enabler really um to, to other to other companies and fintech developers as well as financial services institutions to they can be empowered with with their own financial data so it really depends what, what the market can, can do with that. Um, and ultimately, if you think about it from a public policy perspective, uh, open banking was very much rooted in the competition mandate in the UK. Um, but actually, open finance is, is much, much bigger. Uh, so it's not just driving competition in a narrow, narrow sector. This can reimagine how you think about, about financial services and put financial services in places where it wasn't before. So Plaid recently uh, has powered Money by Excel, uh, where the original PFM is going to be powered by, by a Plaid connection to, to have open banking type data uh, and beyond uh, within, a, within a spreadsheet. So it's not imagine, when you imagine financial services. If you think about expanding that way beyond to other, other parts of financial services um, and what you could do or what you could control from that interface, then you're thinking outside of the narrow silos of banking or insurance or, or pensions. You're thinking about doing finance in a, in a totally different way. And the policy goals on that can be many, many different types of things, uh, depending on what setting, setting you put it in. Um, so that's the real opportunity, I think, of Open Finance, is, is what others can go and create uh, hmm. on the back of Plaid uh, and others. Um, and it'll be more than just competition. It'll be a different type of experience.
0: So I guess from, from a pop quiz across the, uh, across the panel, if you like... Um which which, uh, which industry silo do you think has got, I guess, the most to cheer and the most to fear? I suppose. So, if you're looking at, uh, you know, the pensions industry, the investment industry, wealth management, and you think about that disruption which could happen uh, and the services that can be created off the back of these rails. Um, and Faith, maybe I'll start with you from a consumer perspective, uh, and then we can all sort of jump in from 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 more sort of um, from a business side. But, where do you think customers are going to get I guess the most bang for their buck in terms of should you know the Nirvana state happen and this all gets rolled out beautifully um which industries are going to be a disrupted the most but b for the consumer benefit so I think
4: um so in terms of where sort the, the kind of key value comes from I think it it i mean it re- requires consumers to get better products, but generally speaking, I think credit is where we're going to see most disruption we're already seeing seeing kind of like credit firms using open banking data for profiling i think um there's just it's really interesting covid 's kind of covid nineteen 's really sort of brought open banking to the fore because as as, as firms think about how they can check for affordability et etc after payment freezes, open banking data really does come in quite handy and I, so I think that in terms of where we 're going to see most movement is in the credit market as people sort of demand credit um, and so there's a, re, a, a a desire to share data in order to access a product that somebody wants and at the same time there is a, a a kind of the supply side saying actually yes we want your data in order to make sense of this market better so i think credit's the obvious one so i think for me that the, the, the opportunity in credit is quite high we know that actually um the, the the people who stand most to gain, so the segment that we looked at, who stand most to gain from 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 open banking and sort of related retail banking services, are those who are overstretched. Those are the people who are currently paying over the odds for credit who could do really well from uh, getting access to kind of um, cheaper credit and and offerings coming in which are offering more kind of efficient efficient products and services. So I think there's there's an opportunity. We tend to be a bit siloed in our thinking on credit. We think overdrafts is one thing, credit cards is another thing. You know, actually. You know, there's quite a lot of opportunity when you start bringing through the data, when you start allowing consumers to share those things, you, you begin to see opportunities for saying, actually, mm. well, you know, why don't we compare an overdrive with a credit card? Why don't we help somebody, you know, move their money to this loan over here? And why don't we kind of reduce that here? So yeah. I think in, in terms of credit, that would be the space where I think there's most uh, there's most money for consumers to save and, uh, and most sort of opportunity for, for firms to come in and disrupt that market. That obviously there are external forces uh, in terms of the macroeconomics, which could which could
0: hinder some of that development. And then I guess Dan G, have you uh, like listening to that from a consumer perspective? Is there anything which, when you saw the call for input, were you like, "All well, that you know, RBS could do with going into that segment. That's going to make that a lot easier," <laughs> or or is, was there any of those sort of commercial um, commercial indicators lighting up in your mind?
3: Well, I think it would be surprising if there weren't. But uh, no, I think <laughs> I think there certainly were some conversations just kind of you know, blue sky, blank sheet, thinking about what, how do we engage with customers, what do we know about customers, how could we help customers, um, that, there's a significant amount of conversation around that within the, within, the, uh, within that West group uh, around what is the opportunity to help. I think from our point of view, pensions seemed like an interesting place where uh, where the, mar- the public would benefit, the market would be interesting, and it might be a way we could help customers. Uh, investments probably similar. Um, but as we head into wealth in some of those areas, we start talking about an hour and hour a segment of the of the public. So naturally, we start thinking pensions as being very broad. I think as um, as we've said here, uh, Faith has mentioned different kinds of credit products. We're already seeing a little bit of activity there. To be honest with you, uh, we, we don't. We're, we're not a sub. What we call a subprime credit provider. That's not a, a market that we're in. Uh, but at the same time, we are seeing customers share data with subprime. Credit providers, and obviously, I don't have a, I don't, I don't pretend to have an opinion on on, on whether that's a, uh, a a good form of credit or not. But at least we can see that where we don't have products, open banking is allowing product innovation. It's allowing um, some some new credit providers to monitor accounts and cash flows in real time, which presumptively means that they can uh, extend credit to uh, some of the public who previously wouldn't have access to it. So it's it's exciting.
1: Can I can I just jump in there on, on on the investment point as well so um I think from an industry perspective actually the investment industry has an awful lot to gain particularly at the moment if you look at the money flowing in to a lot of the tech startups in the investment space off the back of covid now we we've covered this before but basically funnily enough a lot of people have found themselves with time and some people with more money on their hands right now so the investment industry has got money flooding into it particularly some of those tech savvy startups the sort that are going to understand you know being able to to pull in data from other places is going to help them you know construct more realistic uh you know predictions on on investment or even you know if you combine that with some of the stuff we've seen from the likes of chip you know some of those um Almost advisory products, you know, you've got money left over this month, you should do something sensible with it. Um, I think there's a huge amount to be done in in that space with helping people understand investing, you know, build an investment strategy, a responsible investment strategy, which I think is really important. And I think there's a huge amount that the investment industry, you know, that will be, if you're talking about, you know, setting something or, or setting incentives, You can get 10,000 new accounts in three months if you can make it easier for people to open accounts and just pull money in. It's probably going to be a pretty good incentive for these guys. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And just to the pensions point, I have no idea if the pensions dashboard is ever going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's been in and out of parliament. It's like a chew toy in parliament, as far as I can <laughs> tell. Um, you know, th- there's two sides like on-, on either end of it. But anyway, um, if you can combine pensions and investments, you know, that kind of, those sit quite nicely alongside each other. A lot of people don't understand that their pensions are in fact investments in the first place. So if you yes. can kind of get people's head around that concept... And, you know, build products and services that are helping them save their retirement responsibly, whether that's through investment or savings, then you help the consumer. um, And those industries are going to boom as well, because we all know people should be saving more and, you know, perhaps investing more as well if they want to grow their wealth realistically long term. Um, And I think open finance is a great way to do that responsibly and more easily, particularly if you've got loads of investment money sitting behind you that you could just, you know, pump into some new tech, perhaps. If you're a small startup
2: absolutely agree with that we we with the open savings and investment project by Tizer that you mentioned before Faye. we are a member of that which focuses on pensions general investment accounts i think the upside there could potentially be be huge there was some research by uh, pension b where they talked about something like 80% of pensions are with 12 providers and they're not actually lost at all they're uh, they just can't be accessed um, you know, some of the the potential to 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 get and, and open these up and, and empower people with their own investments that are already out there, you know, is quite quite you know huge, it's profound. Yeah. Um, so I think I think pensions is, is is one where we can wait for the pensions dashboard, but there are providers out there today potentially given the possibility that could empower this. You know, given the right opportunity.
0: Well,
3: I think that's right. And that, that's, where, that's where open finance hopefully comes into play in terms of solving problems is looking directly at some of those problems, which is just that, which is from a pensions perspective, that might be one of the hardest ones to locate. Uh, just to be honest, I'm a finance professional and I've, I've been through it as well, which is where are my pensions? Uh, maybe in my case, multinational, it's a little bit harder, but truth be told, uh, you know, in the modern times, people switch roles, there's a gig economy, et cetera, it's easy to lose track. And an open finance ecosystem that ideally would be one of the outcomes, which is some basic level of digital ID that enables one to match up where their pensions are.
1: Yeah, people, people um, of people of my parents' generation have got pensions that were started forty years ago. So where the hell is all that paperwork? Is you know the first <laughs> question.
0: But how much of that paperwork is going to be relevant is also a question. Um, how much, you know, to, to get an affordability of who you are at the moment, do you need records from, well, I suppose if you, the investments are still alive, you do. But I mean, if you're still getting historical. paid
1: out, if you started your pension payments 40 years ago and you're now at the age where you're retired and getting pension monthly payouts, then yeah, you you've do done, need to know. Sorry, you've Faith, well. you've been trying to talk. <laughs> I, I do think there's quite a lot of
4: opportunity for disruption in the advice and guidance market so i think i'm kind of interested in whether you know sort of this the the sort of traditional view on ifas or financial advice will will be the same in kind of 10 15 years i'm i'm kind of interested in you know how um so we tend so the, the market currently seems to wait for people to to have wealth before it can serve them and actually people you know grow in terms of their fine you know they 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 grow wealth over a much longer period of time. And I'm quite interested in some of these smaller players, like you mentioned, Chip or Plum, who are encouraging people to round up very small amounts, but creating buffers um, to begin with and then creating small pots of money, which grow into larger pots of money that they can then invest. I think there's much more of a, um, a kind of like, I think there's more need to engage people at an earlier point in managing their wealth, even when they seem to have negative wealth that needs sort of managing. And I think the the current sort of, um, Traditional IFA or financial advice market tends to focus at the wealth end rather than at the how can we help you get to wealth. And and that's the sort of the area where I think open finance and, you know, platforms that we're offering personal financial management or helping you sort of sweep savings or round up savings um, is actually quite is quite helpful. Um, and I think that's where I'd, I'd really like to see some some energy go in, into that space. I think yeah. there's a whole great swathe of people. And it's there's a kind of interesting question about the impact that COVID has on us as a society, because I think you're right, Sarah, there's a whole group of people like us, Me, you know, sitting at home. I've still got my job. I'm still working. I'm still making money. I want to go on holiday. We've got money to spend. But there's a whole group of people who've just, you know, the the carpet's been pulled from underneath them, and they're struggling to make ends meet on a big scale. So I think that's where things like, you know, open banking, open finance could really sort of help if we are savvy about thinking about how do we deploy that so we reduce the inequality, we help people make sense of money, and also we connect in with, we think a bit more in the round, so we don't just think about, you know financial services but we think about utilities and household bills which I know some providers are already doing we think about kind of access to food banks we think about you know benefits and uh, yeah. income and how do we max you know use use open banking or open finance to help people maximise their benefits etc so some of those interesting areas of kind of public policy and finance I think we we might see more kind of move, moving closer together whereas cool. we've sort of held them sort yeah. of slightly at arm's length from one another
0: yeah no I yeah Absolutely agree. I think um, just off the back of that, because that was an optimist, generally optimistic tone, which is awesome to, to to end the discussion. But I have got one more question, which is, um, I guess if you're going to put a timeline on this, um, we're looking now at the, the CFI is going in in October this year. When do you guys see uh, sort of super quick? But when do you guys see actually? Uh, is the time for organisations and the OBIE maybe, or the next, you know, the next generation OBIE that who are the custodians of this have to start really thinking about this and the actual practical implementation of this? Well, when are we looking? Is it, are we talking some point next year or the year after? Sort of high level. Well,
3: I, I, I suppose ahead, sitting, sitting around the table with the OBIE and 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 the rest of uh, of the good people, as Faith is as well and others, I think that. Um, The OBIE is already, it's already kind of in play, if you will, in terms of driving and understanding that that's not just about what we call the CMA nine banks, the nine banks under the open banking mandate of the Competition and Markets Authority. It's already attracted broader membership and what we're working with in the industry right now, because it wasn't designed specifically for that, for that. It can deal with almost any standards, directories, et cetera. So I think there's already a pretty pretty strong stream of thought about how would you position the open banking implementation entity so it could operate in a broader context?
2: I think it's all still to, to play for. Uh, the, the FCA's consultation doesn't commit to, to anything at this stage. Um, we would definitely push them to do that, but they're looking at ways to do it, um, and they're, they're exploring it. But Treasury will need to make changes in terms of the legislation. If they are going to do that? They don't have the powers today. Uh, the commission is looking at open finance as well. So they're consulting throughout 2020. There's a data strategy. The Australians are looking at it. So around the world, policymakers are thinking, what next? You know, PSD2 started off a conversation are thinking about what next. What comes next isn't, for, isn't certain. Uh, maybe there will be a similar approach around the world. Maybe it will be more market-led. Maybe it won't be a totally regulated space. Who knows? But at the moment, it's still in the discussion stage. Cool.
4: I think you're right. I Great. think there's discussion. I think the other aspect is, you know, we, we kind of tend to think about open finance, but, you know, Bayes has been consulting on smart data, opening up data in telecoms. We've got the My Data initiative in energy. You know, there's, there's other sectors thinking about how they can use data. We've got a national data strategy. I think um, we are going to be talking about this for some time, but I think it needs to be coming onto board agendas so that they are getting ready. So thinking about their digital roadmap, thinking about what would happen if they were asked to open up their data, also how they can make use of data Data and adapt their, mm. their products and services because, you know, we are moving towards a data-driven society. And, you know, if you look ahead 10, 20 years, it's all about hyper-connectivity. It's about the Internet of Things. If you're not on this sort of bandwagon thinking about your data and how you're going to make use of it and how you're going to maximize it, then you're going to be, you know, behind the curve when the moment comes. So I think absolutely, there's nothing right happening right now, but it's all being talked about. And so yeah. now is the time to help shape that. That's
2: a, now's, uh, the, now's, the, now's the time to, because re- there's a lot of of political capital gone into open banking and I wouldn't say it's worked as well as, as a lot of policymakers would like this is an opportunity to get it right and really empower the consumer i think so that's that's the that's the call that i'd, I'd make at the end
0: nice and that's a good place to end it um i love that on the, on the power of the consumer um, that wraps up today's discussion so thanks very much for all you guys for joining me that was uh, that was great really really interesting and enjoyed that um where can find people find out more about you
2: dan m uh, at Dan Morgan one on Twitter.
0: Uh, Dan G. By,
3: by your very good self, Adam. And Adam, just uh, before we finish, if, they, if there is an interest more around what's happening in the open banking space, as an example, bankofapis.com is the place you'll find us. And so that's probably worth a look as well.
0: Cool. Love that. Um, Faith?
4: Uh, Yeah, I'm best found on LinkedIn, uh, Faith Reynolds, and um, also just a plug for DGEN. We've been doing some work thinking about the regulatory framework and what we can learn from open banking around consent and liability and redress for smart data. So hopefully looking forward to having some reports out later in June
1: around that.
0: And Sarah?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kaczynski.
0: Awesome. And you can find me at AdamD8 on Twitter. And don't forget, you can also find the joint report between Plaid and 11FS at bit.ly forward slash open finance 2020, all lowercase. Thanks for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make our shows better and it helps others find us. Speaking of which, if you know someone who loves fintech and who isn't listening to Fintech Insider, pass the pod along and let them know about the show. If you have any suggestions or feedback, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider and you can send our production team an email at podcasts at 11FS.com. From all of us, thank you very much and goodbye.